We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real Steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Hello, Sunshine, and welcome to a very special State of the Union mini pod. Midweek, we are dropping this on you because there's all sorts of stuff going on, including U.S. men's national team games and the finalissima that we have uh, covered this week. And there's a lot of talk and chatter about both of those things. We're going to start first with the U.S. Morocco game. We are recording this on Thursday. It happened on Wednesday. For those that saw, I'm not <laughs> telling you anything you don't know. The U.S. with a resounding 3-0 win over Morocco. A good opponent, uh, I think, designed to at least try to approximate something that they are going to face in the World Cup in the likes of uh, Iran and a team that is also going to the World Cup. So this was a good get, and the U.S. came out. And I thought was really, really good. My good friend David Mossy is here. Um, I think I've set it up uh, appropriately right there. First thoughts in terms of the 3-0 win over Morocco by the U.S. men's national team, Mossy? A big win in front of dozens of fans in Cincinnati. <laughs> You're such a jerk. Why do you do this? Why uh, do you we'll get on? to that. We will get to. We'll get we will to get that. to the fans and the comments from uh, uh, Captain America there, uh, Christian Pulisic. No, I thought it was a very impressive performance against, uh, as you mentioned, a, a good Morocco team that, by the way, is in the same group as Canada at the World Cup. So I'm sure the Canadians were uh, taking a peek at that that game to learn more about Morocco. But yeah, the, the U.S. pressed high. They, they played sort of a high risk high reward kind of approach. And so, yeah, they did give up some chances, but overall they were the far superior team um, and, and deserved to win by that scoreline. So, and uh, there were so many positives that I think you have to come out of this uh, night feeling very good about this match. Let me ask you something, because there was so much talk over the last couple of years about this U.S. team and the context in which we view them now through no fault of their own, just the, the world changed obviously and so much of it is based on i mean almost all of it is based on them playing against concacaf competition now they get to play uh you know somebody outside of concacaf would they have been better served in terms of their preparation playing mexico for example no i think there's something to the fact that um 
getting out of the monotony of facing the same teams from your region that you're used to facing all the time, it gave them a little bit of a spark and, and it, it allows them to learn some new things about the team. So I like the idea of getting out of that CONCACAF bubble and playing some teams from other regions, even if they're perhaps not the strongest teams in the world that you could possibly face. I do too. And I, I agree with you. I only asked the question because it was, as I said, a resounding result. And it's not that that uh, Morocco didn't have opportunities and it's not that the U.S. couldn't have let in goals. But certainly on paper, when this thing comes out as a three nothing win versus Morocco uh, and the way in which they played, this was this was a fairly easy game. But I don't think that it was devalued uh, or did not have value for the U.S. team. All right, let's get uh, dive into the actual uh, personnel, because Greg Berhalter and company are still assessing. We know that there are new players in camp, but I think that he went after this game and really put his what he felt of the other players available, the best 11 that he could. And if this had been, let's say, that first game in the World Cup in November, Qatar, I would have no problem saying that this could have been absolutely your starting uh, 11, given the injuries that they have and given the players that aren't, aren't in camp. We mentioned going into this that there was going to be scrutiny, and there always is up top with the number nine position. He started Jesus Ferreira in that number nine, false nine type of position. We mentioned in the back who was going to pair Walker Zimmerman ends up being Aaron Long, uh, who we've talked about over the last couple of weeks. We also mentioned the goalkeeper position, and, he, and with Zach Steffen stepping out midweek, we didn't kind of get that decision by Greg Halter. It was just kind of this, you know, had to go with Matt Turner and Matt Turner was uh, uh, fine, uh, fine over there. And then a midfield trio of Brendan Aronson, um, Tyler Adams, Eunice Musa uh, to complete it, everything. And uh, Anthony Robinson on the left hand side, Reggie Cannon on the right back side, uh, Tim Weah on the right side up in the top three. As I mentioned, Jesus Ferreira in the middle in that false nine position, and then Christian Pulisic, obviously, uh, on the left hand side. Uh, let me start. I guess let's go back to front, Mossy. How about how about doing that? Matt Turner, I don't think that you or I have a real problem, not with him, just him starting. Even if Zach Steffen is there, I think that everyone's pretty much at this point of the opinion that either one of them is good. Everybody has one way or the other, but it is for me six of one, eh, maybe not totally six of one, half a dozen of the other here. I would start Matt Turner. Um, I think he did fine here, and I don't think he did anything to change the opinion that people have of him but it doesn't mean that when uh, Zach Steffen gets back that Greg Berhalter might not start him. Although, in this lead up to this game, Aussie, it should be said that when asked about the situation with players, Greg Berhalter went out of his way to talk about a player like Sean Johnson and to say, I'm going to play the guy that is playing and is in you know, the best possible position, which is a little bit strange. I'm not sure I believe him there. But anyway, Matt Turner, were you cool with that? I agree with you. I would start Turner. And I even thought he was pretty good with the ball at his feet, which even yep. he seems to think is the one hole in his game. I know you disagree with that. You think he's too hard on himself when it comes to that part of his game. But I thought the U.S. passed the ball out of the back beautifully. There was one sequence in particular where uh, they went, uh, they swung the ball around beautifully and ended up with Haji Wright face-to-face uh, -face with the Morocco goalkeeper. He was denied. Uh, and and Turner played a part in the start of that sequence. So, yeah, I thought uh, I thought very impressive performance from him. Obviously, he didn't have much to do with the penalty miss, but nevertheless, kept a clean sheet and did what he had to do. So positive for him all around. Yeah, I agree with you. He actually he dimed out. I think it was Yunus Musa or somebody in the midfield uh, halfway through you know, probably the first half. Just a beautiful little 35, 40 yard ball over the top of players into a player that was wide open. And he dimed him out. It was, it, it was very good from Matt Turner. All right. In the back, um, I didn't think that the, the pairing of Aaron Long and Zimmerman um, 
I thought that they were fine. I thought that there wasn't a problem. I do think that there could be some pace problems when we get up against teams that are trying to get behind us and obviously uh, teams that are faster than uh, than Morocco. Morocco most kind of just kind of uh, posted up against Aaron Long often, but I thought that they looked comfortable together. If the World Cup started tomorrow and that was our tandem, do I think it's the best tandem we've ever had in a back four? No, but I think that right now, this is probably the best uh, tandem that we have. Thoughts, Mossy? Yeah, and staying with my theme from Matt Turner, I thought um, Aaron Long's distribution was very good as well out of the back. So yep. um, yeah, he got turned around a couple of times there in the first half. So you're right, there's some potential pace issues there against quicker forwards, but Overall, I thought pretty solid performance from him. Okay, um, let's go to the midfield then. And uh, unless you want to hit anybody else in the back four, you good with that? Yeah, I'm good. All right, so Brendan Aronson, Tyler Adams, Eunice Musa. I thought Musa was really good again. Tyler Adams' his usual self, breaking up plays and making really crucial types of runs. He's just a really smart player. Brendan Aronson is is really, really interesting. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save my Brendan Aronson here uh, until we get through the rest of the lineup here. But I... I I got something to say important about Brendan Aronson. Okay, uh, let's go to the uh, the top up there. Tim Way on the right hand side, Christian Pulisic on the left hand side, and Jesus Ferrer uh, in that uh, that false nine position. Do you think that this is Jesus Ferreira's position to lose uh, playing that false nine position just because we don't have anybody uh, better right now? Although Haji Wright did come in in the second half. I wouldn't go that far. You know, it would have been nice to crown this incredible goal scoring form he's in an MLS with a goal in this game. He did a lot of good Jesus Ferreira type stuff, but he didn't score. And so that, you know, at the international level, at least that's still going to be the question mark. Is there a trade-off by playing Jesus Ferreira up there that you're not going to get the goals that a more traditional center forward might give you? Um, Haji Wright ends up scoring from the penalty spot. So I don't think you can read too much into that. But nevertheless, I, I, I don't know if it was quite the performance Jesus Ferreira would have wanted to just cement the fact that he's clearly the uh, if the World Cup was tomorrow, I agree. He'd probably start up there, but I don't think he has a huge lead over the pack, I guess is what I would say. Right. Um, okay. Well, let's uh, let's talk then uh, Christian Pulisic, who I thought had another good to great game and certainly some incredible moments, both drawing the penalty uh, in the second half and assisting on the first uh, half goal to Brendan Aronson, who I'll talk about uh, in a second. I thought he was I thought he was really, really good. I I. On his goal that he assisted to Brendan Aronson, keep in mind that it was after a lot of possession from the U.S. It was a long ball direct right out of the back. And Christian Pulisic starts out wide and comes in inside. I got no problem with Christian Pulisic if he's playing on that left-hand side every once in a while coming in the middle in the way that he did. And he had a wonderful first touch over his shoulder there and just showed his incredible class and skill in that moment. But I don't want Christian Pulisic always being on the inside. I like him more on the outside, really causing havoc on the uh, on the outside. Although this is where he did his damage was right down the middle. And I thought it was a great and, and well-timed and lofted and recognized ball from Walker Zimmerman. Obviously, an incredible touch to set himself up the fake shot, bring it back and then just basically put it on a platter for uh, for Brendan Aronson. Um, anybody, any uh, any Christian Pulisic uh, on the field thoughts? Well, the touch was incredible. I also love the little spin move to get away from the defender right after that. So that that play all the way around was just absolutely breathtaking piece of skill from him. And then he lays it on for Aronson for the goal. Later on, he lets Haji Wright take the penalties. So a pretty unselfish performance all around, I would say, from Christian Pulisic, which was nice to see. Okay, so let's uh, let, let me talk about Brendan Aronson, and then I want to talk about Haji Wright here. Okay, so Brendan Aronson started in that three. We all we all know that Weston McKinney has been injured. He did show up for about twenty minutes, which was great to see. 
see him on the field. And I think when all is said and done, that from a Greg Berhalter standpoint, that three is going to be what we've seen traditionally, which is Eunice Musa, Tyler Adams, and Weston McKinney. However, I'm being asked, Mossy, for this weekend, and you can tune in uh, when we do the U.S.-Uruguay game, to give my best 11 if everybody is healthy. All right? Obviously, it's idyllic. It's, you know, it's never that case. But let's just say that everybody is healthy to give my best 11. I am working so hard to get Brendan Aronson into the starting lineup. I think that he has come on and come on so fast that I worry about us having the best 11 that doesn't include Brendan Aronson. Now, keep in mind, in order to do that, I have to take out somebody and maybe two people that are and have been kind of starters for a long time. But that's how good and I think important Brendan Aronson is. And and he deserves a tremendous amount of credit for kicking on and going over to Europe and from a national team perspective. And it's not just about work rate. He is he is a Joe Max Moore. Uh, who, yes, will run through a wall with you. But those that don't know, this was probably the most competitive U.S. men's national team uh, colleague that I ever had, would do anything, um, wanted to win at absolutely everything that he did, and just ran, but not ran like a chicken with his head cut off, ran with purpose, but had an engine that just would not quit, as I said, would run through a wall. So I'm going to find a way this weekend, when I give you my best 11, it's a little teaser for you to watch the show uh, and the game on Sunday, to get Brendan Aronson in my best 11. But in doing so, there may be others out there that you normally would have on your 11 that aren't going to uh, aren't going to be there. Were you as impressed with Brendan Aronson as I was? Or are you in general? Yes. And what I found interesting was when the U.S. plays in a 4-3-3, we usually draw it up with Adams as the six and then two eights. But this time it felt like Adams and Musa were sitting and Aronson was playing farther ahead of both of them, almost in a number 10 type role. So it's interesting how he figured out a way. Because a lot of people, when they saw Aronson playing in the midfield, they didn't love that because they think in Berhalter's system, he makes more sense as a winger. But Berhalter figured out a creative way there to give him the freedom that he needed uh, to shine. And and yeah, you know, he's now going to the Premier League. And so if he plays well, well there, that's going to uh, add even more to his stock. And so uh, yeah, he's. We've talked about this on the podcast that, that there were a few players that everyone had singled out as the real standard bearers of this generation: Pulisic, McKenney, Adams, Reina, Dest. And for a long time, Aronson was considered sort of second tier in that pecking order. And now he seems to be moving into that top tier, where a lot of people are putting him on the level with those other players and, and thinking, as you do, that he's a player that you have to find a place for in the starting lineup. And so, you know, that that would be perhaps at the expense of Yunus Musa in the midfield, if, if we're assuming that McKenney and Adams have to be starters, perhaps in the expense of Reyna, you know, if he can't get himself healthy, Timothy Way, obviously in that mix as well, you know, there's the option of, I know you don't like with playing without a center forward and playing somebody like a Pulisic or a West Central. So there's all sorts of different ways you could go. But yeah, there seems to be this sentiment that you need to find a way to get Aronson into the lineup. Yep. And I'll be the first person to admit, and I, I was talking to Mo Adu uh, today on our show, and he's been all over uh, Aronson from, I mean, playing in Philadelphia. And so he's seen him grow up and he was telling me about him before anybody was talking about it. And I, and I just I couldn't see it. But uh, I will raise my hand and say, this is a player that I want and I think we have to have on the field going forward. And these are all champagne problems that we are even in this position where we're going to take some really good players and they're not going to uh, start. Um, OK, the, uh, the second goal comes from uh, uh, from from the run of play uh, with Wea just turning and just smashing it. Now, 
goalkeeper's got to save it. I know it's moving and everything like that, but you know, you got to take the shots and sometimes you get lucky and the, the thing was knuckling a little bit, but uh, you know, the goalkeeper there, Buno uh, has to save that, right? Oh yeah. That was a howler. I mean, I love Timmy okay. Weah and he, you know, he's been in great, he was in great goal scoring form for Lille at the end of the season. So now he gets a goal here. So, so it, you, you like to see that his goal scoring confidence is high right now, but that one was certainly a gift by the goalkeeper. Okay. So we get to the second half. It's two, nothing. We get to the second half and uh, Greg Berhalter, we know he brought a bunch of players in players that we hadn't seen. And he makes the changes as we expected. There were changes. We saw Haji Wright, as we mentioned, we'll talk about his, uh, the penalty and the situation with the penalty. Joe Scally came, uh, came in Carter Vickers, Eric Palmer Brown, um, you know, uh, Tillman, Malik Tillman. So a lot of uh, a couple of players getting their first look when it comes to uh, uh, the national team. I didn't think that anybody shown in a way where I was just blown away. And this is an ah moment. And believe me, as U.S. soccer fans, we love to have those ah moments. But I didn't feel like it was this is crazy. I can't believe that this uh, player has been sitting on the side. Uh but it's still a, a very small sample size, including up top, which we know that number nine position and, you know, the opportunity for Haji Wright to come in. I, I didn't think that he was dominating in a way that I want from that number nine position, although he certainly played it in a much more traditional sense relative to Jesus uh, Ferreira. But he didn't knock my socks off. Having said that, the uh, Christian Pulisic draws a, a penalty. Uh, they do the old bait and switch where Christian Pulisic stands over the ball. And then ultimately, the last minute, he turns and throws the ball to Haji Wright. Now, people have to understand that there is a history between those two, as there is with other players. And they kind of have all grown up in the same generation. And I feel that there's a real sentiment within this group that they're supporting and they are rooting for Haji Wright to to come good and to be a part of this team. And who knows? Who knows what the power is in this team? They might be. Ultimately, the ones that when that's dictated of what that 2016 uh, man roster is and gets on the plane, who know Haji Wright may because of what the, the player he is, but also because of the relationship and the dynamic that's formed there um, might be on that might be on that plane. What do you think of Haji Wright? Well, you saw the trade off of having more of a traditional center forward as opposed to Jesus Ferreira. So, you know, it's not as much movement, but it, it is that sort of reference point that other guys can play off of. So, um, yeah, I don't think he was overly impressive, but I mean, certainly a guy that I think is going to remain in the mix here. Um, yeah, I mean, I, can we move on to other subs? Yes, we can. We uh, I disagree with you. I was very impressed with Luca Della Torre. He, he's a player that continues to grow on me and, and I think has just about cemented a ticket to uh, Qatar. Not quite as a starter. Yeah, but, but we've seen him play well before. I mean, this isn't like a surprise player or something like but that. But it, it's still okay. a relatively small sample. So each time he does it, it's sort of affirming that, yeah, this is a real player here that that I think could have a role to play it in, at this World Cup as, as you know, backup, but it's still a very good option to have in that midfield. Uh, anybody else... Uh Tickle your fancy? Well, you know, Joe Scally, we waited so long for this. I don't think he was particularly impressive. I think he was one of the few uh, negatives. Uh, obviously gave away that penalty, which was some people thought was yeah. a harsh call. But. I mean, it, was, it wasn't a <laughs> it wasn't a foul, but still. But still, I mean, in a World Cup, stuff, crazy stuff can happen. And you, you, you tend to get defined by the things that happen. Believe me, I can I can attest to that. Uh, but yeah, no, that's about it. So, like I said, very positive all the way around. Um. Okay, let's uh, let's finish up the U.S. part of it. And as you mentioned, the U.S. will then uh, play Uruguay uh, on Sunday. You can find that on uh, Fox, right, Mossy? FS1, Correct. Fox? Sunday on Fox. Big Fox, Uruguay big Fox. Bart Simpson Kansas Fox. City. 
Uh, so that will be uh, that will be fun to see, and certainly another test. And I would think a. I mean, who knows who they play, but it's still a, a, a team with some pedigree. Uh, the Christian Pulisic comments after the game. Uh, he goes, as often as the case, the star of the show. Uh, they get an interview. Well, it's not often the case because he doesn't often give interviews. But um, Christian Pulisic gives an interview after the game to our friends at ESPN. And let's make sure that we credit the folks over there at ESPN, because uh, God forbid. Um and he gives an interview on ESPN in which he says a number of different things, uh, including that he was. Let me see. Uh, let, uh, I'll read you the quote. To be honest, for whatever reason, I'm not super happy with the amount of Americans here. However, however, that works out. If I'm being completely honest. So now he's definitely being honest. Um, but but thanks to the ones that did come and support it. And support is always great from them. All right. So, look, I mean, this was a reaction to the environment that he was playing in. This was a reaction to what he saw or didn't see and wanted to see. And this was probably a a choice of words that kind of set him up to have people outraged and to come for him. Um. If he, did, if he had to do it over again, he probably would have said, rather than saying the amount of Americans here, the amount of U.S. men's national team fans or American fans here, okay? Because um, there was plenty of people that were there cheering for Morocco that are as American as he is or anybody else's. That's, that, that's fair enough. And I think, he, I, I think he would admit it. Having said that, the clutching of pearls and the consternation and the... Um, irate reaction to Christian Pulisic saying this is is a bit much. Okay, now there were some that say that this was relative to the ticket prices and that he was calling out the federation. Look, I'm just happy first off that Christian Pulisic agreed to do an interview, and more importantly, that he actually did an interview that was interesting and entertaining. <laughs> because if you've ever watched Christian Pulisic. That is not his forte. That is not what uh, what he did. But that people are screaming and yelling about uh, Christian Pulisic's postgame interview, whatever. And by the way, another thing, if Christian Pulisic was bent out of shape because he was playing in what he what he saw or perceived to be a less than supportive environment while playing for the U.S. men's national team in the United States, then that dude wouldn't have lasted two minutes playing with me back in the 90s <laughs> because pretty much everywhere we played in the United States when we were playing, quote unquote, at home was oftentimes an away game for us. Things have changed since then. And I just think that he was, you know, pointing out the situation that maybe to him in his mind was a little bit uh, strange. Thoughts on uh, Christian Pulisic's uh, comments after the game, Ozzy? Well, yeah, there's two layers to this story. The more mundane one, I suppose, is the ticket prices. And does U.S. fans, does the U.S. Federation needs to look need to look at it whether they're gouging fans and whether they're charging too much for tickets to these games and it's affecting attendance. And then there's this larger conversation about the U.S. being this multiracial, diverse melting pot of a country, which benefits the U.S. on the field because they're able to get a lot of these dual nationals, but it maybe prevents them from having as great a home field advantage as other nations do because pretty much anyone that the U.S. plays, there are a fair amount of people from that country living in the United States who, 
it's exciting for them to go get to watch their country play in a game. So they go and I don't know, that cuts into the U.S.'s home field advantage. I think Pulisic has come to expect it against CONCACAF opposition, but he was a little bit taken aback that in Cincinnati against Morocco, it was like that. But uh, I guess there are more Moroccans than than we realize living <laughs> close by. So, yeah, I don't think it's it's that big a deal. But but I do think there are a couple of interesting topics there that are worth fleshing out. Yeah, I mean, listen, uh, and and if people are complaining about the price of tickets, I understand that. And you risk being seen as either tone deaf or delusional by saying, you know, something like that and not recognizing that not only in, let you know, in normal times, you know, people pay their hard earned money. Uh, but in a, in the times that we live in right now, it's even, even more difficult. I, I would think that, that, you know, when you would take it to the Federation, they would say, well, how, they would turn it around and say, well, how do you suggest that we continue to support all of the USSF members and, and, and the programs that they that they have to uh, while satisfying all of those contractual obligations to the U.S. men's national team and U.S. women's national team in these new deals that have made have been made such a big deal about which increase pay and which pay the teams equally and make the U.S. men's national team and U.S. women's national team the highest paid national teams uh, in the world. You got to make that money and you got to do the business that you feel is appropriate. That's all off the field stuff. The problem is that it it takes away from what I think is a really positive result against a, not a great team, but a good team and a situation where we find ourselves asking more and more good questions relative to the depth that this U.S. men's national team has and that we are fighting and, and arguing about who that best 11 is. I think that's a I think that's a good thing. And I think it speaks to the level of talent, and the amount of talent uh, that we have. And I think we'll we'll continue to be debating this all the way into the World Cup. And as a matter of fact, I don't think anything is going to solidify, to be quite honest. I think that Greg Berhalter is going to arrive at the World Cup in November and December. And we will still have the questions that we are asking today. And that in a strange way, he might not have his best eleven in that this is the best 11 and this is what we're going to play every single game. And he will cater it to each and every opponent. And there will be moments where we might scratch our head, but not in a way that says this guy's crazy for playing this, uh, this, uh, this other guy. So that's uh, anyway, these are, as we say, champagne problems as Tata Martina would say, right? Anything else on this game, Aussie? No, I'm just curious to see how many fans are there in Kansas City on Sunday since that's now become part of the story. So um, I'll be fast. You mean how many Americans? Yes. How many Americans? <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. I, I, you know what? Christian Pulisic is, like I said, he, he finally said something interesting. So, um, all right, let's, uh, let's, uh, transition over to finalissima, right? I mean, this was, this was fun. And for people that either didn't watch or, or don't know, we mentioned it on the pod, uh, the, that we did earlier this week, Argentina as champions in Copa America and champions of Comnable playing against the champions of, uh, Europe, European champions, um, Italy. Uh, we know Italy is not going to the World Cup as of today. Never know. Um, but Argentina certainly is. And this was a thorough and comprehensive win by the Comnable champions in England, in Wembley, in front of a packed house that was rocking. This game was, I thought it was great, Mossy. I don't know about you. It was, it was entertaining. 
It was competitive. Don't tell me for a second that this was a glorified friendly. There was a trophy at the end. But I think both of these teams were taking it seriously in the representation of not only themselves and their their country and their national team, but of their, you know, of their confederation, whether it's uh, Comnibol or or UEFA and Argentina. This is as good as our as an Argentina that I have seen in terms of their balance and in terms of their confidence. And you add a motivated Messi with, to, to a certain extent, the burden of not having won a major trophy off after winning Copa America, who's arguably going into his final World Cup in November. And if, if yesterday was any indication of what this Argentina is and what it can be, that, that bodes real well for their future come uh, November and December. Thoughts on uh, the Finalissimo? Yeah, it was three and it could have been six. Uh, that's how superior Argentina was. And they didn't even have a player who I love, Leandro Paredes, at the base of that midfield. And so Guido Rodriguez started instead. It was more of a ball winner. So that sapped them of some of their fluidity, but it did matter because Los Celso and DePaul were terrific. And they were able to get the ball to Messi in, in good spots. And Messi was really on his game. And he's got Di Maria and Lautaro Martinez to play with up there. So, yeah, they're, they're firing in all cylinders right now, unbeaten in 32. Uh, this was a real statement win for them. They, they, To your point, they took it very seriously. You could tell the way they celebrated afterwards. And, yeah, I'm surprised. This match was played against the backdrop of Mbappe's comments that we discussed on the podcast uh, this past week. And, man, I'm surprised how much that served this bulletin board material for um Argentina, but the Argentinian media after the game was just throwing that in Mbappe's face. And this was an answer to you. And so it Mbappe really struck a nerve with South Americans. So that this became a very much South American pride thing. They wanted to beat the European champions to, to really send a message to, to Europe. And, and listen, you know, Europe gets so much attention and the world is Eurocentric when it comes to soccer and, and rightfully so, and, and understandably so. But you know, while most of the Argentinians play uh, play their trade in Europe uh, at some of the best and biggest clubs, there's also a sense of pride. And I think that they were also playing for their region and a, and a region that at times gets crapped on. Not does, you know, it doesn't mean that there is incredible um, talent there. And so you could see that. The other thing that I think that this Argent, uh, Argent are, we, are we calling it Argentinian or Argentine? What should we do here, Masi? Um, I've been told Argentine is more formal. I think Argentinian okay. is more informed. All right. Well, in watching this Argentinian team play, there was a sense of, uh, of excitement, but responsibility to Messi. And we saw the scenes after where they're throwing him up and down. And look, this is arguably the greatest player ever to play the game that is still playing, that is still a star as we saw on the field. But I feel like they want to do it for him. They want to put him in the best possible position to succeed. And ultimately, I mean, he walked into that Wembley stadium and there again were pictures of Maradona. Okay. He understands that he long uh, accepted that, but I think that there is a real desire. And I think it comes from an incredible respect and love for him of this Argentinian team to give him that opportunity. Now, the difference in the past is that I felt, I think that they all had reverence for him, but the balance and the supporting cast that he has and the depth that they have and the ability that they have, and it's not just here, Messi, take the ball and do your thing. It's, we're going to do a lot of different things here. 
at, at a moment, we're going to give you the ball. We want you to do a moment of magic, which you're more than able to do. But we're going to be there on the other uh, other end. They had somebody up top in Latoro Martinez who who uh, who who does that. And Hel Di Maria, I mean, continues to just not not inconceivably. I mean, just it just be a great player and be constantly uh, constantly a problem. And they got a whole bench full of talent that they can uh, they can bring on. Have you seen? I mean, how good do you think that this Argentinian team is? And maybe more importantly, how good can it be? Oh, I think they're one of the top three or four contenders to win the World Cup. They can absolutely win the whole thing. And yeah, I mean, first off on Messi, um, it's amazing how, and this started to be true even late in his Barcelona career and certainly true now at PSG, how much the club versus country dynamic has flipped for him. And he feels much more comfortable playing for his country than he does his club. It's almost like the country is now the refuge from the dysfunction at club level. Um, and yeah, you know, it's funny, UEFA erroneously put out a lineup with Paulo Dybala in it initially, then they corrected it. It was Lo Celso instead. And I was actually intrigued to see Dybala and Messi try to play together because that's always been an issue for them. But instead, Dybala came on late, scored the third goal. But what a player to be able to bring off the bench. <laughs> I mean, and then they brought on this kid, Julian Alvarez, who I mentioned on the last podcast, just scored six goals in a Copa Libertadores game for River Plate. And he's off to Manchester City this summer. So depending on how he does in the first few months in the Premier League, he could carve out a bigger role with that team. So yeah, I mean, it's just, it's uh, an incredibly talented team. They've got a great chemistry. They love their coach, Scaloni. As I said, unbeaten in 32, they've now collected a couple of trophies. So they're building this sort of winning culture. And so, yeah, Argentina is having a moment right now. I'm having to sit back and admit I can't poke holes into this. It's 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 completely. <laughs> uh, keep in mind, Argentina is in Group C along with Saudi Arabia, Mexico and Poland. And as uh, men uh, mentioned by uh, Mossy right there for so long, when it came to Messi, we saw the ideal Messi with club and Let's be honest, since going to PSG, that has not been the case. And yet it has completely flipped in that now the ideal Messi is showing up with Argentina. Great news for Argentina. Not so great news if you are going to be an opponent of them. A uh, couple more thoughts. Um, when Italy failed to qualify for the World Cup, there was a lot of rationalizing that went on. They pointed out the fact that, hey, we won the Euros not long ago. We had a 37-match unbeaten run during this cycle, and the European qualifiers are very unforgiving. You have one bad day, you lose one game, and you're out. And so it doesn't mean that there's these deep-seated issues with Italian football. And I almost felt like this game was more of a wake-up call than failing to qualify to the World Cup. And, and the reaction after this game has been more sobering of, oh, my God, how, how far away are we from a team like Argentina and what's happened to Italian football? Now, they were missing some key players, guys like Immobile and Berardi and Insigne and Verratti, um, Chiesa as well. So that's that's fair to point out. But nevertheless, I mean, they look totally outclassed. And I think if you're an Italian, you come away even more depressed after this game than even you did after that loss to North Macedonia to knock you out of World Cup qualifying. Do you agree with that? Uh, I do. And I also think they looked slow and long in the tooth in the back, you know, with Bonucci and, uh, and Chiellini. And, you know, that that gives me pause. And I, I worry about a center back as good as Chiellini is and, and how much I, I love him for the player and just the the personality that he is. Uh, even coming to a great team and, and LAFC is a great team in, in MLS. I worry. I'm not saying that it's, the deal shouldn't be done, but man. Well, we're going to have the LAFC coach, Steve Trinlo, as part of our Nations League coverage. So you can ask him about it. <laughs> He'll be sitting right next to him. 
Um, I mean, look, he's got to do it. And I, I, I get it. He's got to do it. And they will find ways to pro, uh, to protect him. And he's, you know, he's playing for for a good team. But, you know, for if you're just if you're the last in line, you can you can look really bad really quickly because there's nobody obviously to cover up for your mistakes um, as a uh, as a center back. And if you get caught for pace and, and over the top, I mean, there was a moment there, obviously, on uh, on one of the goals where he thought that Donnarumma was going to come out and there, there was a little confusion there. But I, even if Donnarumma hadn't come out, I think he would have gotten beaten for pace there, as, as would a lot of center backs in that position. And to be fair to him. One, one more larger point. Um, we used to have the Confederations Cup and everybody complained about that. They thought it was a useless tournament and they got rid of it. And now they've created this finalissima and the reaction's been very positive. Does it bother you that there's a type of person out there that feels like the other regions are just clutter? And that's why they complain about the Club World Cup. They complain about the Confederations Cup. And and anything that just cuts through the clutter and just puts Europe versus South America, that's what we really want to see. So that's all we need. And that's great. Uh, does that does that annoy you that, you know, why would somebody like this and not the Confederations Cup unless they just feel like the other regions are not worthy and it's a waste of time for a European nation to even have to face teams from CONCACAF and, and Asia, et cetera? Well, you just answered your question. That's exactly why. And, you know, while, you know, let's be honest, you know, I mentioned the Eurocentric way the world is right now when it comes to soccer in that hierarchy, who's second? I would think that it would be calm. I would not I think I know that it's it's commonable, especially maybe not always with the individual leagues and, and, and teams, but certainly with the talent that exists. And by the way, as we said before, a lot of that talent eventually shows up in Europe. And so there is this this connection. But then you also have, you know, the World Cup every two years and the situation going on in the uh, <laughs> the butting of heads between uh, FIFA and UEFA. And so there's all of this power play going on right now and this jockeying for positions it's actually fascinating. And it's palace intrigue and all this stuff that's uh, that's uh, that's going on. So that this just in general, that this game garnered this attention should be a surprise to no one. And that this game even happened should also be a surprise to no one, especially happening at this moment when there is this, this friction and, I, and even this anxiety about what that world order is going to look like and the power struggle between UEFA and FIFA and to a certain extent, uh, Comnable. And I don't think it's going to stop. Uh, it's going to stop here. And if I'm if I'm looking at it from a CONCACAF perspective or any other confederation out there that's not Comnable or uh, or UEFA, you know, the rich are getting richer. And I worry about them pulling away, maybe, maybe even literally pulling away and creating something. Hey, there's your Super League, you know, so or, or something like that. Well, and, and, you know, now they're talking about having a finalissima on the women's side between the champions of Europe and South America. But I feel like on the women's side, it, it CONCACAF needs to be that other region. It, it's a much sexier game if it's the U.S. versus the European champion. So I don't know why it has to be. I, I don't know. Do, do you, <laughs> what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, but never put it past FIFA or not FIFA. In this case, it would be UEFA and Comnable to send a message. And and look, we're still the United States. And while we are the elite of the elite when it comes to the women's side, we're still the United States whenever we play. And people like to see the United States on and off the fields of play be put in their place and use moments to send messages and to 
poke, if you will, uh, especially when it comes to that world order and that tradition that we that we have. So, yeah, from a pure competitive standpoint, it makes no sense at all. OK, you have the Europe, the European champion and then you have it against it would be the United States. Um, but I'm not sure that that's going to be what they do. And maybe it will be in an effort to promote and in their minds expand. So it's not always a U.S. centric type of conversation when it comes to uh, women's I mean, Maybe I'm being elitist towards South American women's football. I'm doing the exact thing in reverse that I accuse people of doing on the men's side. So. Eh, I still love you, buddy. All right. Anything else before we go? And that is it. All right, listen, uh, we really appreciate uh, you tuning in here. I know this has just shown up in your feed. We wanted to get this out and talk about both of these uh, these games and these events because they're, they're really cool. And there's a lot of stuff that's happening through the summer. And obviously, it, uh, as we lead into the World Cup in November and December in Qatar. And so we will be, we will be doing these when we feel they are appropriate. You know, little little presents that, that you find there and you can take them or leave them. Hope that you take them. We hope that uh, you are listening here because we have a fun time doing them. Obviously, they're much shorter than uh, the usual weekly output that we have. But we really wanted to try to do some of these things, especially when we're when we're talking about big teams, big moments uh, and big games that happen. Sometimes, Mossy, I don't know about you, but sometimes. A week is too long in between to be able to talk about these things. So we save the TV chatter only for the regular weekly podcast, right? Because <laughs> exactly. I'm plowing through. We own this city, and we're going to have quite the conversation about that in the next episode, my friend. That's right. And my wife just informed me that there is a new episode of the uh, the Stairway out. Oh. Uh, stairway, right? Is that what it is? Staircase. staircase. The Staircase. Excuse me. The Stairway. Like I know. All right. Anything else, Mossy? That's it. All right, listen, we have more Nations League on uh, on Fox throughout this week. And then, as we mentioned, U.S. Uruguay on Big Fox uh, on Sunday. And we will be back again next week at our regularly scre- uh, scheduled time. Thank you for tuning into this special State of the Union mini pod, if you will. And we will talk again next time. And until then, and as always, size the day. Yeah.